All right, let's get into God's word here. Psalm 38, fallen down but not forsaken. Psalms 6, 32, and 38 were all written after David had fallen into sin with Bathsheba, and then he tried to cover it up by getting her husband Uriah to think that he had actually impregnated Bathsheba when David had done that. And then from there, David giving a order to Joab to put Uriah at the front of the battle line to withdraw from him and have his life taken from him, which happened. And we've talked a lot about that uh, uh, account throughout the summer through Psalms. It's come up several times. We'll touch on it again through the message this morning. We know it's Second Samuel chapter 11. And after David had fallen into that sin, it was unlike David in that he didn't quickly repent of it. And instead he tried to cover it up and hold it in and even kind of redefine sin and so forth for about a year. And it just ate at David and it affected him spiritually and it affected him mentally and uh, physically and so forth. Until finally after a year, the Lord sent Nathan the prophet who was uh, faithful to the Lord to come to David and share a parable with him. Uh, about uh, two men, one man being an impoverished man who had a sheep that he raised really as a child that was dear to him and a wealthy man that had many flocks and then the wealthy man had people visit from out of town and he wanted to feed them and instead of taking his sheep from his many flocks, he took the impoverished man's flock and he fed the group coming uh, with that sheep and David was enraged by that, especially having been a shepherd as a young man. And he said, basically, this man's life will be taken from him. And remember, Nathan said, you're the man. That's you. I'm talking about you. And we know from there that David absolutely uh, repented of his sin and God forgave him. But it was clear there would still be consequences for his sin. Now, there are consequences for that year in which, you know, he had all that mental and spiritual and physical anguish. And then even afterwards, there was a detox process that he had to go through. In Psalm 38 along with those other Psalms, 6 and 32, David speaks of these things. In Psalm 38 especially, he focuses much on the consequence of his sin. He speaks of the spiritual heaviness, the physical affliction, and the ramped up oppression that, uh, that came from his enemies as he gave even more of an occasion for his enemies to attack him. And we'll talk about those things this morning. And in doing it, listen, we want to glean from this. We want to learn from this. We absolutely, you know what, want to learn from David's account and from David's error. In this, we will also see David crying out to the Lord as he finally humbled his heart and came to a place of brokenness. And we want to glean from this as well because as David humbled his heart in the sight of the Lord, we see throughout this him as he's moved by the Holy Spirit to pen this speaking of how the Lord was hearing him. And the Lord had not lost sight of him. And when we humble our hearts and we call out to the Lord, indeed, he meets us where we're at. And it's his desire to restore us. It's his desire to strengthen us. It's his desire to absolutely even use our error uh, for his glory and for our good when we indeed come to that place of brokenness before him. So what we're going to do, we have 22 verses before us. What we want to do is just take a section at a time and make our way down through this. And the, and the title here of the psalm, and in the first few verses, we'll do more foundation building for the rest of the chapter. So notice how it starts here. It says, a psalm of David to bring to 
remembrance. I think there's a few ways of looking at this, both which are good. The first being the more broader way of looking at David saying to bring to remembrance. This word remembrance, it's the idea of remembering the dead, someone that has passed away and now we are going to remember them, whether it's in a memorial service or just the fact that that person once walked amongst us. And see, David is in a place where, again, he is being afflicted. He is being chastised because of his sin. He is in a place where spiritually he is feeling very empty and very dry. He is really, in a way, feeling spiritually dead. And the scripture tells us the wages of sin is death. Now, again, by grace through faith in the Lord, we know that we are positionally right with God and we have the assurance of our salvation. But again, practically, we can fall into sin. And when we're not bringing that struggle before the Lord, but instead trying to hide it, trying to cover it up, absolutely, there is going to be a weighty affliction upon our souls, which we are going to talk about again in this psalm. And so when David is saying, Lord, or bring to remembrance, it's him crying out, Lord, remember me. And the Lord absolutely remembered him, had not forgot him, but David's in a place where because of his positioning of himself, uh, he really has turned his back to the Lord for a season versus the Lord turning his back to David. And now he is crying out, Lord, remember me. The picture is also painted of this in Habakkuk. When Habakkuk, the prophet, is crying out to the Lord and in Chapter 3, verse 1 and 2, he's making intercession because of the rebellion of the nation of Judah. And he said, in wrath, remember mercy, which will tie into our first verse here in a second. But he's saying, Lord, you, you remember you know, our sin. Now remember your mercy and help us and come minister to us in our rebellion. Uh, it's much like as well the thief on the cross there in Luke 23, who upon... You know, being nailed to that cross, mocked the Lord and so forth. But somewhere between that time he was crucified and and the time that he passed away, he came to himself and realized that he was a sinner and deserved to be there. And yet the Lord was without sin. And remember, listen, we talk about this often. He cried out, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And the Lord gave him that assurance. He says, surely I say to you today, you'll be with me in paradise. So all this is a picture of, Lord, here we are in our sin. And now here we are suffering the consequence of our sin. But now we've come to this place of brokenness. We're finally uh, ready to be real with you and do real business with you. We're, we're done game playing and so forth. So Lord, remember me. Meet me where I'm at. Also, I think absolutely, as he says, to bring to remembrance, uh, we can make an application to us personally that we want to remember what David talks about here in him going into detail about the chastening of the Lord. Absolutely, the Lord chastens those who he loves. Listen, how many times in the course of your life have you told someone, well, God loves you or Jesus loves you? And maybe trying to comfort them or minister to them. And how many times has that said to you, God loves you, God, uh, you know, it cares about you, and absolutely he does. But oftentimes when we hear that, we associate the love of God just with, again, the mercy and the grace and all the benefits and all those blessings. And though what I'm going to talk about is a benefit and a blessing, we don't necessarily look at it like that. Revelation 3.19, he says, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten, therefore be zealous and repent. And so when we get into our sin practically, 
and we hide that from God or cover it up or don't want to deal with it before the Lord, the Lord in his love for us will rebuke us and he will chasten us and we would be wise to learn from that and then to remember it. To remember it the next time that the temptation to sin comes upon us. We're foolish to forget. We're foolish if we read this this morning about the, chast- the chastisement of the Lord on David because of his rebellion and to leave here and to forget it. We should want to remember that. And we should pray that it would deepen our fear of the Lord, that the fear of the Lord, listen, would be more weighty than the allure and the temptation to sin. That fear of God, knowing God loves me, and because God loves me, he will take me to the woodshed. And so I don't want to go to the woodshed. Does anyone here enjoy the woodshed? I, I, I hope not. And so that fear of God, it's a reverence of God. And we'll talk about how, again, a father loves his sons and daughters and is going to discipline them. This isn't a fear of, a, of, of, of again, of a, of, a, of, a, of a beating in the sense of, of out of a harshness, but this is God's love for us. He's going to correct us. And so we want that fear of the Lord, again, to be more weighty than the allure and temptation to sin. Proverbs 14, 27, it says, The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life to turn one away from the snares of death. And this is a chapter that is in part designed to grow the fear of the Lord in us, that that absolutely would turn us from the snare of death. As we read about all that David went through and his chastisement, and even as the result of his sin, that a fear of God would be more weighty in our life, that it would turn us from these things that, again, Satan is so good at putting them forth to make them look inviting and so forth. And again, often it's pleasurable for a season, but the end of that way is death. So notice here verse 1 and 2. He says, O Lord, do not rebuke me in your wrath, nor chasten me in your hot displeasure, for your arrows pierce me deeply and your hand presses me down. Now listen, David is in a very good place here now. Uh, There's been a season where he has not had this type of heart. He's in a place now where he is not defending his actions. He knows that he has sinned. And boy, we need to start there. It's a bad place when we're in sin practically, (coughs) or if you're in a place where you don't know the Lord at all, and you're defending your sin, or trying to excuse your sin, or what's going on so much today, people are trying to redefine sin. As the Bible tells us what is sin and what is not sin, and the law of God is given to us to show us what sin is, and then to show us that we are sinners, to be a teacher, to show us that we need a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, that he lived a sinless life, that he atoned for our sins. He took the wrath due us upon the cross of Calvary, and he defeated sin, death, and Satan, that through faith in him, we can have salvation. And David had that salvation, and yet now practically, He had not been walking in the call of God, but he again had been facilitating sin, and he's finally come to that place of acknowledging it, and yet, you know what, he is no longer defending it or trying to redefine what it is. So he knows, listen, he knows he needs a rebuke, and he knows that he needs to be chastened. He's in that place where he knows that. And and listen, I began to think about my life, and there were so many times, even upon doing something, I knew that in doing this, even while I was in the act, that I deserved to be chastened, I deserved to be disciplined for what I was doing. Has anyone else ever been in that place? I mean, I, I didn't even know, you know, what, what illustration do you want to use? There's so many. Uh, I, I remember on a night, it was a summer evening, I was probably about five or six years old, there was a 
bunch of us gathered out there along with my parents, and there was a cooler with some drinks in it and an ice. And for some reason, I got in my mind that it'd be fun to throw that ice. And I went and picked up a piece of ice, and I threw it. I thought, oh, boy, that felt good. But in the back of my mind, I thought, I probably shouldn't be doing this since I was throwing it into the street. So I went and got another piece of ice, and then a car began to come, and I thought, boy, I wonder if I can hit that car. And in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, you're going to get it for this. And I took that ice and threw it, and as I left my hand, it was like everything went slow motion. You know what I'm talking about? Like everything just slowed down, literally, in my mind, it's slow motion, and it went. And as the car was coming, all I remember is that the car was about where the post is right there, the lady's face that was in the passenger seat. Just a look of utter horror, and the thing went, and it was just a perfect bullseye. And thank you, Lord, that the glass didn't break, but the, the ice uh, scat, you know, sh- shattered there. And then I'm thinking, they're going to keep going, and then they went a little farther, and I saw the brake light come on, and I'm like, I'm dead. <laughs> I am dead. And listen, I knew, I knew that the rebuke was coming. I knew that the chastening was coming. And listen, I didn't get timeouts growing up. It was like, here comes the black belt. You're going to get the black belt. It wasn't just the belt, the black belt. And you need to go up to your room. And boy, that hour, it felt like a 10-hour wait was even worse than the chastening. But, but I knew it. And David here knows. He knows he deserves the rebuke. He knows that he deserves, you know, deserves the chastening because not only was sin, but his cover-up of it and his hiding of it and him trying to justify it and everything else. And so in that, he cries out that as that is going to come from the Lord, that it wouldn't come in wrath, that it wouldn't come in hot displeasure, but instead God would deal with him graciously and mercifully. And we are blessed indeed to know that he does deal with the sons and daughters graciously and mercifully. Hebrews 12, 5, it says, And have you forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons? My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. And listen, there's a big difference between the Lord chastening his sons and daughters, and we are the children of the Lord through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, than the wrath that will be poured out on unrepented sinners if they die in their sin and they die having rejected the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus came to make a way for us to escape that wrath, and we absolutely have. And we absolutely are not subjected to his wrath. We are freed from that, but absolutely part of grace that we get is not only salvation, but we get the divine influence of God upon our life, and part of that is the chastening of God, him showing his love for us to correct us, to teach us, because what he has for us is so much better than what our flesh craves and desires. Proverbs 12, 1 says, whoever loves instruction loves knowledge, but he who hates correction is stupid. Not very politically correct there, but absolutely truth spot on, and it needs to be declared from the rooftops, and we need to get that in our heart. And David knew that he needed correction, and he was welcoming it. I need it, Lord. Be gracious and be merciful to me in bringing it my way. Notice verse 2 again. For your arrows pierce me deeply and your hand presses me down. Now listen, we know in Acts 13.22 it declares that David was a man after God's own heart. David had an incredibly deep love for the Lord that started as a very young man. When he was the psalmist of Israel taking care of those sheep and so forth. And when he 
slew Goliath. Listen, it, it really, that faith birthed forth from his love for God and knowing God's love for him and the relationship that he had with God Almighty. He knew he wasn't going to take that giant down through his sling and five stones, that it would be God that would do that. And he understood, again, God's great love for Israel and the fact that God had set Israel aside to bring forth the Messiah. And so the more he knew about the love of God, the more that he loved God himself. And it wasn't like David to normally hide his sin like that and bury it. I think one of the marks of one that is a, has a heart after God is that they're quick to repent. And yet David, again, for a long time, he covered his sin, but now as he's begun to deal with it and see the chastisement, because he had a deep love for God, those arrows of rebuke went very deep into his heart. He knew that he had grieved the Lord. He knew that though he was forgiven and positionally right with God, that practically he had grieved the heart of God, and the fact that he grieved the heart of God caused those arrows of rebuke to grow deep down into his heart. Listen, folks that love the Lord when they sin against the Lord, the greatest chastisement is the fact that they sinned against the Lord because they, knew their, they know their sin put the Lord on the cross, and they know God is so good, and they don't want to grieve the Lord's heart. This is why Peter, after he denied the Lord three times, and then he saw the Lord, the Lord caught his eye. It says that he went and he wept bitterly. And he wept bitterly because he knew he'd sinned against the Lord. This is why the Apostle Paul, who knew all about the grace of God and declared there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus, also cried out, wretched man that I am, who will set me free from this body of death? And he cried that out because though he knew positionally he was right with God, practically he had this war going on and absolutely in his struggle he wanted to be delivered from that because he knew his sin practically grieved the heart of the Lord. It's a dangerous thing to be in the place where you look at that great, the grace of God as a license to sin and you're giddy about it and you're like, I got the grace of God so I can go and sin and do what I want when I want to do it because I got the grace of God. And listen, there's a lot of False teaching along those lines that is spreading like wildfire all around us. Yes, we're under the grace of God. And yes, in Christ, all things are lawful, but they're not all profitable. And if he really is your Lord and you're under the grace of God, absolutely when you acknowledge him as Lord, you don't want to go back to sin. Why would we want to go back to that which we have been freed from? And he died on our sins uh, on the cross for us for our sins to be forgiven, and one has that heart of the grace of God as a license of sin, and there's no grieving in the heart, that's where you really need to check yourself and ask, where are you with him? Jude verse 4, for certain men have crept in a notice who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. And I think when we're in a place where Our sin is just casual. There's no grieving of our heart. We need to ask, where is our love for the Lord? Because I think the more you fall in love with him, the more that you learn of his love for you, when we fall into those places of rebellion, especially when we begin to cover it up like David and we begin to realize it, there is a deep grieving in our heart because we know that the Lord's heart has been grieved. And it's not that in all of it, the Lord never stops loving us. Again, we love our children and yet when they are doing things, especially when we have talked to them about it and, and, and then trying to cover those things up, we love them while it grieves our heart, right? And I think there's even a big difference between a child that is struggling with something and they're coming to you daily, Dad, I, I did it again, help me. 
that blesses your heart, does it not? Well, let me help you, son, especially when they know they're sincere in that. But when they know what they're doing and then you try to cover up and hide it, though you love them, it grieves your heart. And I think that that grieves a child's heart that loves their parent. And absolutely, those arrows went deep because of his great love for the Lord. It also pressed down. He says, your hand presses down upon me. And listen, when God's hand presses down on us this way, it's a pushing out of the joy uh, that the Lord wants to be manifest in our lives when we are walking in communion with him. Uh, No true believer is ever going to be able to fully enjoy their sin. And when they're trying to fully enjoy their sin, they can't fully enjoy their Savior. God won't allow it. Uh, One may be able to enjoy it for a season, but eventually, again, the Lord's going to press down. And the Lord's going to bring them to that place where they cry out to Him. And if you're in a place where you're like, Jesus is my Lord, and I love my sin, and I enjoy it, and I practice it, and it is all good, you need to ask yourself, is Jesus really your Lord? Because one of the evidences that we are sons and daughters of God... One of the ways that his Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we belong to him is that he chastises us. One of the ways my kids know that they're my kids when they get out of line, I chastise them. I'm not going to chastise your kids. I'll go to prison for that. I don't want to go to prison. I'm not going to lay a hand or discipline your child. I, I might tell you or I might tell them, you know, hey, quit doing that. And I guess for some, that's the chastisement. Oh, they said something. That's really not a chastisement, it's maybe a correction. But they know my, my kids because I correct them, and my aim is to do that out of love, out of concern for them, knowing if they keep practicing this nonsense. Could you imagine if I'm a 47-year-old man now still throwing ice at cars driving by? That wouldn't be good, would it? Oh, the ice thrower, yeah, yeah, we know that guy. Isn't he in CMC now? Oh, so, somewhere, something like that. Says he's got a prison ministry in there? I don't know, all kinds of... Notice three through five, we'll start trying to pick up the pace here. He says, "Uh, there is no soundness in my flesh because of your anger, nor any health in my bones because of my sin. For my iniquities have gone over my head like a heavy burden. They are too heavy for me. My wounds are foul and festering because of my foolishness. Now, David moves from the spiritual and the mental over to the physical. And he is saying here, because of my sin, my bones ache. I am not healthy. There are certain sins that absolutely open the door for physical affliction practically. And then there are also times in the scriptures where we read about folks with faith in the Lord falling in sin and God giving them over to sickness to chastise them. Now I've heard people over the years saying, oh no, God would never allow sickness to come upon one of his saints. God's not the you know, an inventor of sickness, and he absolutely isn't. Sickness came when man sinned in the garden, and the curse came, and everything changed. But to say that God cannot allow sickness to bring correction to a child is like saying a parent would never discipline their child. And there's times when God will use sickness absolutely to get our attention. This doesn't mean every time we're sick, it's the product of that. And boy, let's, not be, let's be very careful not to judge others to say, oh, they're sick. What did they do? Go read the book of Job if if that's your M.O. Those three counselors, that's what they did to Job, and they got severely rebuked for that. The Lord wasn't pleased with that. But let's judge our own heart, amen? Let's check ourselves. Listen, 1 Corinthians 11, 27. This is written, uh, again, to, to the New Testament church. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. 
But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. He who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. Notice verse 30. For this reason, many are weak uh, and sick among you, and many sleep. And this isn't talking about naps here. It's sleeping. They've passed away. If we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord that we may not be condemned with the world. They were partaking of communion in an unworthy manner. In the unworthy manner, again, it's the context of the book. There was a lot of facilitation of sin in that church. A lot of justification for it. A lot of cel- they celebrated the fact that a guy that was sleeping with his father's mother came to their church and they welcomed him. And, oh, look how gracious we are. And the Lord told them, listen, you've got to deal with this issue. You're not loving him. You're not loving the church. And so they were partaking of a communion, again, in an unworthy manner. And he says, the reason, there's sickness among you. And then what's he say? Examine yourself. Judge yourself. And if you would judge yourself, you wouldn't be judged. So in other words, you're walking with the Lord, you know the Lord, and you begin to judge yourself, and you're like, man, in this area, I'm really falling short. I I admit that, Lord, I'm falling short. And then you come to the Lord, and you say, help me, Lord. Listen, the Lord is going to help you. He wants to help you. But if you don't and you deny it, God's going to help you by chastising you. And it's the choice we want to make. And thus with David, again, there was sickness in his flesh and in his bones because of his sin. Notice as well, there was a heavy burden on him. He says, it's too heavy for me. And even practically as believers, if there are sins that we begin to make provision for and excuses for, then that sin will turn into a weight that we carry around. And when we finally lay it down, then we will lay that burden before him. Absolutely, Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, come to me all you who are labor and heavy laden and I will give you rest. And maybe this morning you're in a place where you know the Lord but you've been facilitating a sin. You're not dealing with it and it's become a heavy burden to your soul. It is time to lay that down before the Lord and at the minimum be honest with God and say, Lord, I'm hiding this from you. I'm facilitating it. Begin to help me and bring me to the place where I will lay it down. You're like, I don't want to pray that. I don't want to be chastised. You're going to get chastised if you really know him, whether you like it or not, but begin to be honest with him and absolutely begin to ask him to help you lay the burden down before you. And even in that, he's very gracious and good to us. Notice as well, he says, my wounds are foul and festering because of my foolishness. And David here absolutely associates sin with foolishness, and it is. It's like the rat running around and the traps there, and all he can do is focus in on the cheese. And you're like, you foolish rat, why would you take cheese from that rat or that trap when you know it's going to snap your head? Why would you do that? Because when you get that temptation, it begins to grow in your heart. All you can see is the cheese, and you don't see the consequences of it. And that's why we need to be quick to take our thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ. Notice as well, he says, my wounds are foul and festering. So in other words, his wounds or the sickness that he had was producing a bad odor. There was a a festering somewhere in his being. He's describing an infection here. An infection is when you get invaded by a bacteria or a parasite or a virus that's normally not in the body and begins to affect the body. And we got to understand, again, these types of sins that we make provision for then cover up it's going to bring a spiritual infection to our heart. We won't put forth the aroma of Christ, but instead a foul smell. And these things affect our soul with sickness. 
and will begin to destroy the soul. Proverbs 16, 17, the highway of the upright is to depart from evil. He who keeps his way preserves his soul. And when we say, listen, I'm not going to want to, I don't want to walk in the way of the Lord. I love the Lord. I thank you that the Lord loves me. I'm saved by grace through faith, but I want to walk in my own way. There's going to be a destruction that you're allowing to come against your soul, your person. You're bringing spiritual infection right into your life. And again, we're looking at this that there, there would be a grow of the fear of God in this, that the fear of God and that chastisement would outweigh the allure of, of sin. Notice 6 through 8, he says, I am troubled. I am bowed down greatly. I go mourning all the day long, for my loins are full of inflammation. There's no soundness in my flesh. I am feeble and severely broken. I groan because of the turmoil of my heart. Again, David is troubled. His joy has been taken from him. It's been replaced by a mourning and a brokenness, which is actually a good thing because finally he's come to that place of repentance. He's hit rock bottom, you could say. And then notice verse 7, it sounds a lot like verse 5, where he's speaking of a festering, odorous infection, it seems. He says, my loins, which is basically from the side of the ribs to the pubic region, he says, they're full of inflammation. Now, there have been some that have suggested that David contracted a sexually uh, transmitted disease here. Um, in some of the commentaries I read, actually some of the commentators said some suggest this, but it never could be because David was a man after God's own heart, so we need to put that to rest. And I say, time out. How could it never be? David's sin was sexual. David committed adultery with the woman who was another man's wife who was prone to bathe in the nude so others could see these two had some issues here. And absolutely, he could have contracted a sexually transmitted disease. We don't know for sure. But I do know this, that if those types of sins are embraced and practiced, you're putting yourself in a place where you very easily could contract such a thing. Proverbs 6.27, can a man take fire into his bosom and his clothes not be burned? Can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be seared? So as he who goes down to his neighbor's wife, whoever touches her shall not be innocent. It speaks about the ramifications physically for engaging in sexual sin. This is an epidemic in our culture. It's estimated that there are 65 million Americans living with a sexually transmitted disease today. There's 19, it's estimated there's 19 million new cases every year. It's estimated that one in four Americans will get a sexually transmitted disease in their lifetime. And how many times does it take to get an STD? Once. And then we have these people telling our children, well, that can be prevented if you use a condom. Listen, that's like trying to stop a BB with a chain link fence. The only way to prevent that is abstinence until you're married. Marriage being one biological man with one biological woman coming together in holy matrimony. I have to use terms like that today because of all the confusion. His loins are full of inflammation. Does that mean if you're in such a place, you can't be forgiven, you can't be restored, you can't be healed? Absolutely not. We have a God who restores, amen? We have a God who heals. 
1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And I know many of us know in this room that God is a God who will forgive such sins. And he absolutely will bring restoration. And God, even in his grace, has a healing hand. And I praise him personally and I give him glory for that. Notice as well, he says, I am feeble, severely broken. I groan because of the turmoil of my heart. David's feeble, he's broken, he's weak. And we need to know this this morning. When we embrace sin willfully like this and cover it up, we forfeit the power of God in our life. 1 Thessalonians 5.19, it says, do not quench the spirit. And it goes on in context, it says to abstain from evil. And when we don't abstain from evil, but we embrace it and then cover it up, we're going to quench the spirit of God. Hear this this morning. God is not going to empower the flesh with the Holy Spirit of God. He is not. Those things are opposed to one another. And we look around the church in the West, and it seems so inept. It seems so weak. It is so large outwardly, but it just seems so weak internally. And I think one of the reasons for that is such an embracing of sin. Versus saying, listen, I'm saved by grace through faith, and now I'm called to walk in holiness. We're not talking about legalism. Legalism is sin as well. But such an embracing of it and an effort to try to redefine everything and questions about sexual, you know what, things talked about in the Scripture. And everybody says, oh boy, what a difficult subject and so forth. What are we going to do with it? We need to rethink these things. No, the Bible says what's clear. A man and a woman in holy matrimony, outside of it, it's sinful. It's not good for your soul. It will destroy your soul and so forth. And yet when it's embraced and promoted and rethought and redefined, you're going to find a feeble, weak, inept church. And as a result of all this, David groans over it because, see, David had tasted the goodness of God and he had walked in the power of God before. Now that's been replaced with this foul taste and a very weak walk. 9 and 10, he says, Lord, all my desires are before you. And my sighing is not hidden from you. My heart pants. My strength fails me. For the light of my eyes has gone from me. He desired restoration. Now he's sighing and praise God. He knows the Lord is hearing. The Lord sees. And some would say if he cries out, why isn't he immediately restored? Well, listen, he's immediately forgiven for sure. But again, the longer that we take a sin in and make provision for it and allow it to infect us, there's going to be a detox process that takes place. Just like if one is involved in substance abuse and they come to that place of saying it's time to stop, there's a detoxing that takes place maybe a day or a week, maybe a month, maybe two months of getting that chemical outside of you, detoxing. And the longer a believer will embrace a sin and so forth and try to cover it up, they're giving ground to the enemy of their soul and now there's going to be this detox process Though again, we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sin. And it's not to say that God can't take it all away right then and bring a full restoration. He can, but oftentimes there's this whole process. Does any here know what I'm talking about? That whole process. That process is not fun. Rehab is not fun. And yet God in his goodness brings restoration. He he, 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 he restores what the locust has eaten, and then even on top of that, he leaves a gift behind, like in Joel. Notice as well, verse 10, 
David's dry heart pants for that watering of the Spirit of God. His strength is gone. And then he says that his eye is dark. He says, as for the light of my eyes, it is gone from me. Notice what Jesus said about this. Luke eleven thirty four. the lamp of the body is the eye. Therefore, when your eye is good, your whole body also is full of light. But when your eye is bad, your body also is full of darkness. Notice here, therefore, take heed that the light which is in you is not darkness. If then your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, the whole body will be full of light. But when the bright light shining of a lamp gives you light, as when the bright light of a lamp shining is giving you light. This speaks of, again, what we put in our eye, what we see with our eye. What we put before our eyes will affect what comes out of our eyes or out of our person, as again, the eye is the window of the soul. The more the things of God we put before us, the more we're going to be reflective of Him. The more sin and wickedness we put before us, the more of that will come out from us. Again, the scriptures say, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, he also is going to reap. And did not all of this here in Psalm 38 start with David's eyes? You know, you could take it back and say it started when he wasn't doing what God called him to do. He wasn't out to battle. And then he had idle time, which oftentimes is a great weapon of the enemy. He has that idle time. He's walking around, and then his eye spots Bathsheba, who the scripture says was beautiful to behold. So you know she was beautiful to behold. And as he sees her, instead of going, oh my goodness, someone get down there right now and tell that woman to cover herself. He began to take it in and drink it in. And then he inquired, and they said, wait, this is another man's wife. And he said, I don't care. The darkness came in and flooded his heart, and then he began to act upon it. We got to take this to heart. Psalm 119.35, the psalmist cries out, Make me walk in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to covetousness. Now notice 37. Turn away my eyes from looking at worthless things and revive me in your way. We are living in a very sensual, pornographic culture. And there are so many men, and now many, many women as well, that get exposed to pornography at a very, very young age. Myself, some of my earliest memories were being exposed to pornography. And then even, even as, a, as a young boy trying to, you know, find opportunity to live those things out that I had taken in. And then you grow up in a central culture where it's all around you, everywhere you look. And I know there's so many men, they're, they're afflicted with this. And many of these men even love the Lord. And then they're looked down as the perverts and the scum of society. Let me tell you, if you struggle with that, God loves you. And he cares for you. And not only did he die to bear your sin, he died to bore your shame. Does that make an excuse for our sin? No. But we have a God who's loving, a God who's understanding, a God who created us to be sexually attracted to the opposite sex so there would be children and we would procreate in part. We needed a little bit of incentive. But boy, we're living in a culture where these things have been grossly and greatly warped and corrupted and men or even women if you struggle with pornography we got to get in our hearts before us we can't put this stuff before us 
We need to safeguard our walk. We need these blinders. We can't make little provisions. We can't go up to the line as far as we can get, thinking we won't fall over and tip in. Get some accountability. Get honest with God. Safeguard your walk because as this, these things are taken in, it brings a destruction to your soul. Quickly, here, 11 and 12. My loved ones and my friends stand aloof from my plague and my relatives stand afar off. Thank you, guys. Those who also seek my life uh, lay snares for me. Those who seek my hurt speak of my destruction and plan deception all the day long. David's sin drove many away. It caused many who loved him and were his friends to lose respect for him. Also, the stench of his sin drove others away. Ecclesiastes 10.1, dead flies putrefy the perfumer's ointment and causes it to give off a foul odor. So does a little folly to one respected for wisdom and honor. After this event, David's life was really never the same. He never had that same respect. His children didn't respect him. He was viewed at differently. When Absalom, his son, brought a rebellion, half the kingdom followed him. Let's get that before us with the fear of the Lord. Listen, there's going to be consequences. Now, God still restored him, and God saw him through, and God was faithful to him, but there's consequences. And let's also, listen, let's not stand off far away from those around us when they get brokenness in their sin. Let's not in self-righteous say, oh, boy, look at them down there. Now, let's also not enable it like those did in Corinth. But let's get the log out of our own eye and look to minister to one another. Notice as well, this sin brought a great occasion for his enemies to lay snares, seek his heart, seek destruction, plan deception. And he was told, you've given occasion for the enemy. The Bible says, do not let go down, the sun go down on your wrath. Do not sin lest you give Satan a foothold. 13, 14, but I like a deaf man do not hear. And I'm like a mute man who does not open his mouth. Thus, I'm like a man who not, does not hear and in whose mouth is no response. Again, no power to hear, no power to speak. This sin embraced and covered up. He forsook his sight, his discernment, his power, and he lost his voice. People saw through it. He thought he was fooling everyone, but sin makes you stupid. You don't have discernment. You don't see things as they are. 15, 16. For in you, O Lord, I hope you will hear, O Lord my God. For I said, hear me, lest they rejoice over me, lest... When my foot slips, they exalt themselves against me. So he cries out, knowing the Lord is hearing him. And we need to do the same. We can enter boldly to the throne of God through the shed blood of Christ to obtain help in our time of need. And we can go boldly because Jesus has made that way. And he says, hear me because they rejoice over me. The world's rejoicing over David's failure. And the enemy of our soul, this world, so oftentimes they rejoice when the when Christians and, and, and believers morally fail, they take great pleasure in it, do they not? And they do that in part because it makes them feel justified in their rebellion. It gives them an excuse for rejecting the Lord. But hear this this morning, my failures will never justify anyone's sins. And if your gospel is, I will pass from here to glory because of the failings of the church and their hypocrisy, you are believing a false gospel. You need to repent and get under the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I've ran to many people that that's their gospel. Oh, that church and their failures. Oh, that pastor and this guy. And they say, I'm justified now before God. That is an air of self-righteousness and utter foolishness. 
Christ died on the cross for your sin, and that's the only thing that will save you if you get on your face and you repent and you ask him to be your Lord and Savior. 17, 18, for I am ready to fall and my sorrow is continually before me. Have you ever been holding on by a thread? That's where David is. But though we hold on by a thread, the Lord never lets go of us. Sorrow continually before him. And that's when, again, we need to turn our eyes from our sin and we need to look up to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. David says, I declare my iniquity. I anguish over my sin. Again, he's confessing this. It's full disclosure before the Lord. Verse 19, but my enemies are vigorous, vigorous. They are strong. And those who hate me wrongfully are multiplied. Those who render evil for good, they are my adversaries because I follow what is good. And absolutely, as followers of Christ, the scripture makes it very clear we're in a spiritual war. The scripture makes it very clear, clear that there are, are many enemies of the cross of Christ who absolutely hate what is good. They hate the gospel. And our sin, again, gives occasion for them to vigorously attack the cross of Calvary. We've got to get that before us. We don't want that. I know this morning, if you love the Lord, you want to shine for the Lord, you want others to come to know him too, don't you? Finally, 21 and 22, do not forsake me, O Lord. O my God, be not far from me. Make haste to help me, O Lord, of my salvation. You know what's beautiful? He says, don't forsake me, O Lord. You know what's beautiful? He won't. Be not far from me. Guess what? He isn't. He stands at the door and he knocks. We read there in Revelation 3 with the church of Laodicea. He pursued David. Praise God, he pursues us. Praise God, he chastises us. And praise God, we can be a million steps away from him, but it's only one step back. And if you've been a million steps away, it's time to bend knee and say, Lord, here I am, be merciful to me, and he'll meet you where you're at. And he'll forgive you, and he'll begin to restore you. But we gotta be real and honest with him. Make haste to help me, O Lord of my salvation. And let me ask you again, is is he your Lord? David could declare in all this, he is my Lord and he is my salvation. I'm saved by grace through faith. Now help me practically with these things, God, I've been hiding from you. But can you say he is the Lord of your salvation? And if you can't, listen, you need to come to him today. You need to get your sins washed today. You need to get right with Almighty God today. And that only comes when we ask Jesus to be the Lord of our life, which means we're turning from what our Lord is. We are no longer acknowledging the God of our belly that says, do as thou wilt. We are saying, Jesus, be my Lord. And I, by your grace and mercy, want to follow you according to your scripture with the help of the Holy Spirit of God. He'll meet you where you're at. Call on him today if you don't know him. Let's stand up and close in prayer and worship to our Lord. Indeed, God, we praise you. We give you glory. We want to glean from these things, God. Lord, I would pray for any this morning, God, that perhaps they're in the place where David was when he was writing this, where, God, they've been overwhelmed through their rebellion and even the chastisement of the Lord. Oh, brother, sister, listen, come before him. He is good. He is merciful. He loves you. Let him meet you where you're at even right now. And maybe you're here and you're struggling with things and you're up and down. I just want to pray that God will encourage you this morning and strengthen you. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God that your faith would be strengthened. There would be a renewing of your mind and all of our minds here. And today, if you don't know him, today's a day of salvation. Listen, humble your heart and call upon Christ. 
He wants to wash you and cleanse you and meet you where you're at. Lord, you are so good. Let us turn our attention, God, to giving you praise, to giving you glory. Let's finish well and lifting our voices to our Lord, even right now. skilled to understand what God has willed, what God has planned. I only know at His right hand stands one who is my Savior. I take Him at His word
I just pray you have a wonderful day in the Lord Jesus Christ. The altars open up here. Encourage someone before you leave today. And again, God bless you.